guys. All right, so um, you won't see it up here, but um, this is starting and developing a nonprofit. Uh, my name is Ken McQuiller, and I'm excited to be able to share this journey with you guys. Um, to kind of give an overview of what we're going to be doing here, I'm going to tell a little bit about myself. Tell you a little bit about my journey in the nonprofit world. I've been working with a nonprofit for now six years. Also have my master's degree in nonprofit administration. And then also I want to kind of share a little bit about some of the steps that you would need if you wanted to start your own nonprofit with your church. And then also, last but not least, how you develop a nonprofit, how you can grow it from point A to point B when it comes to fundraising. So and then at the end, we'll do some Q&A. You can ask anything. I can't say that I'll definitely have an answer, but I'll at least give it a shot for you. Um, so a little bit about myself. I don't have a name tag because my five-month-old daughter ripped it. So um, that happened a little earlier today. Anyone with kids can definitely relate to that. Um, so I am actually a US missionary associate. I work in the inner city of Cleveland with the Assemblies of God. We look to change lives right in one of the most impoverished neighborhoods in Ohio, whether that is supporting children in any way possible. Because I don't know how familiar you guys are with Cleveland. There's a lot of needs. The median income in our neighborhood is around $15,000. Um, Cleveland is the biggest poor city in America with over 52% of children living below the poverty line. Over 50% of residents within the city of Cleveland live in what's known as a food desert, which means they don't have a grocery store within a mile radius of their resident. And out of those 50%, at least 60% of them are non-white. So there's a lot of issues. I could go on and on and on about the needs in Cleveland, but we believe that God has called us to reach our neighborhood for Jesus. So through that, we have a church that we've planted right in the inner city of Cleveland. It's called the Meeting Place Church. We meet every Sunday and Wednesday nights. We also do some outreaches here and there. We hand out stockings at Christmas time. Sometimes we'll do something for Thanksgiving. But one of our main outreaches is two nonprofits that we've established. First, we have an after-school program called the Meeting Place Learning Center, where we have kids every day after school. They come to us for about two and a half hours every day. They get some homework help, some reading and math if they need it. We give them a lot of fun experiences, like we were able to have a professional percussionist come in. Um, we have upcoming uh, career center where a whole bunch of our network is coming in to kind of just share what they do so that our kids get a broader perspective. And then, more importantly, because you can learn all the math, all the science, all the reading you want, but if you don't know Jesus, it still means absolutely nothing. So every day we also give them some sort of Bible lesson. Sometimes we do prayer time, sometimes we do small groups, sometimes we do large groups. My wife, Shelby, um, is our campus pastor and does a lot of the, the spiritual curriculum behind that. So. Through all of that, that's one of our bigger outreaches to our community. We have kids in our building for up to 12 hours a week, and we're able to minister and disciple them through our nonprofit. We've also started a second nonprofit. 
This one is very recent, um, established right in the pandemic, ironically. Um, it's called the Tavern Coffee House. About four or five years ago, we were able to acquire a building right on the corner of Buckeye Road and 123rd, which is a very dangerous part of Cleveland, but also a very big, needy area. So as a result, we weren't sure what we were going to do with the building. We were having our church there is obviously number one priority, but it also came with an old bar. So we were trying to figure out, so what do we do with it? Because we're not going to go and sell alcohol. Um, it's actually funny, as we were doing some of the cleaning and renovation of it, um, we recovered about 25 shot glasses. We said, oh, those might be good communion cups. We'll see, though. Um, but through all of that, we decided to make it a coffee house, uh, make it kind of the model of, let's say, a missionary overseas trying to build relationships with people. And as an added bonus, our young people, a lot of times they get a little bit stuck in like that 16 to 25 range, where they're not really sure what they're supposed to do, and a lot of times that's when things can kind of go downhill. We want to come in and step in and give them jobs, job training, and help launch into careers. So we're going to provide jobs for our young people. That one is still in the works. Hopefully we'll be hearing something about that this summer. But that's a little bit about me. Um, the reason why I got into the nonprofit world is kind of actually interesting because I didn't just start out with like, man, I really want to get into the nonprofit world. I actually got in because at first I was a very lazy missionary. I didn't fully understand what it took to become a missionary at the start. I was a little hesitant to reach out to people and build relationships and things like that. Now I understand that it was kind of just like my pride getting in the way. And, you know, people are people. And if I'm not telling them, just like if I'm not telling someone about Jesus, if I'm not telling someone about our ministry, that means that they're losing out, not necessarily me. But I thought that if I sent a whole bunch of letters and then God would just provide the money, which he did. But at the same time, I didn't put in the work that it took to be a good missionary. So I was trying to find every shortcut I could get in the book. Um, I was trying to reach out to businesses. I was trying to send messages on Instagram to random people I've never met before. I, um, I reached out to the CEO of Hobby Lobby. He, um, he had donated the campus, that, the school that I graduated from. So I was like, oh, well, maybe he'll donate to me. He didn't, but that's fine. Um, through it all, though, I really was trying to find different ways to fundraise. And one of the ways I looked into was grants. And as I was doing it, I really enjoyed it, which kind of seems weird. Because at first, when I started it, it was very challenging. Writing grants, I thought I was going to, like I've been told I was a good writer. Maybe people just don't know about our ministry. But then as I was digging deeper into it and kind of exploring it, I realized the importance of finding the technical reasons of why you're supposed to do it. And I really saw the value that it could bring. So I decided to go back to school and get my master's in nonprofit administration. And fast forward to today, our after school program when we started this grant journey was bringing in about $25,000 a year. Last year we were able to bring in over 200,000, which is not necessarily like a, oh, I'm awesome thing, because that's not true at all. That's 100% a God thing, that he was able to build the right relationships, that he was able to help us grow. 
And as a result, now we have people that aren't just volunteering their time when they can. We have people that are working full-time to save children for Jesus. So the nonprofit world, to me, a lot of times people see it as a very, like, scary or intimidating thing or like it seems a little more businessy than ministry like to me it's very spiritual god can do a lot of amazing things through the nonprofit sector that would be a lot more challenging to do in the church sector um, for us i i can give you a lot of reasons but i want to give you three reasons today why building a nonprofit for your ministry is important and i'm talking about having a separate 501c3 apart from your church. Um, the main reason why I say that is because a lot of funders, especially like foundations, sometimes government can be a little leery when they see so-and-so church. But if they see so-and-so organization, it's a little different. I don't love that, but that's kind of the world we live in. So number one, we've been talking You've probably heard it a few times today, Ohio for Jesus. If we're going to reach a thousand churches within the state of Ohio, we have to be able to engage our communities in a bigger and better way. It is one of the biggest things that we have to do. And a nonprofit is a good way to engage your community. Every community out there, whether you're in a suburban, an urban, or a rural setting, every single community has needs. And when we look at it through the scope of Ohio for Jesus, we have to see that we have to go outside of these walls. In order to multiply our church, in order to multiply what we have here, in order to triple the number of people that come to events like this, we have to engage our community. We have to find those people that aren't in the four walls of the church yet. And also, as we start to do that, it moves from not just church multiplication, but we'll multiply our leaders, we'll multiply our church members, and we'll multiply missionaries that go all around the world reaching the world for Jesus. So number one, it helps us engage communities. Number two, it helps us to reach our Jerusalem more effectively. Acts 1.8 says the Holy Spirit was sent down to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We can't reach the ends of the earth if we're not focusing on reaching our Jerusalem. If we're not focusing on reaching those neighbors that we've seen time after time again, how are we going to be able to reach the ends of the earth? The best way to do that is starting a nonprofit. I know there are other ways, but I feel like when we take that time to not just say, you need Jesus, but first you need to establish whatever that person may need, it gives us that different mindset that we don't just love people to try to get something in them, but we love them because we truly love them. So it helps us to engage our community in a different way. And last but not least, number three, it's a very unique funding stream for your ministry. I think of a lot of part-time pastors, or should I say bivocational pastors, that they really want to be full-time, but maybe the church can't support them. Or maybe there are those lay leaders that are doing a ton for the kingdom of God. They really want to take that next step into ministry, but the church may not be able to fund them. Through the arm of nonprofits, you can potentially have those positions open. So let's say you have a youth pastor that you're only paying part-time because that's all your church can afford. 
let's say you start a nonprofit that reaches youth and creates a safe place, an academic place for them, you could pay your youth pastor to go out and reach the community in that way. So it's a very unique funding stream, and I feel like there's a lot of unused resources in there. So, like, a lot of churches can't typically get, like, normal government grants or foundation grants. In fact, a lot of foundation grants, one of the restrictions they say is we can't give to churches for, um, like, evangelistic purposes. They usually frame it differently. But typically, you can't get it through your church, but you might be able to get that funding through your nonprofit, even if you're doing the same thing. So, through all that... I hope that you understand that nonprofits are important. I hope that you see the value in them. So let's start to get started here. What does it take to start a nonprofit? Number one, you need to have a need. You need to identify what it is that you actually are looking to fulfill. Every community out there, from one corner of Ohio to the, the other, Every single community has some sort of need. So I encourage you to really take some time and pray about what that need is in your community. It could be a variety of things. Maybe one of the things that you have, you've kind of seen as a need is foster care. Or maybe the rate of abortion is really high in your community. Or maybe you have a lot of impoverished people. Maybe you have needs for mental health. There could be a whole bunch of things. But I encourage you, pray and ask God, what is it that breaks your heart about my neighborhood? Like the, that song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Ask God to break your heart about something. And as you're doing that, God will open your eyes. And then you can start to look deeper into that and see what exactly is it. You can do some research, whether that's on like census data. If you notice that employment is much lower in your neck of the woods than the surrounding cities, maybe you can do something with jobs. But there, there is a need out there. I can't necessarily say what it is, but let God break your heart for whatever that may be. I think of how our organization started. Our executive director and founder was working in the school. She was volunteering and her heart broke for the students that were falling the furthest behind. The students that pretty much everyone saw as hopeless. The students that no one really wanted to do anything with. You can probably picture those types of students, like the students that when you were going through high school, the students that would always get kicked out of class. And, and then Judy had a huge heart for those kids. So as a result, that's how the Learning Center started. So whatever your need is, Identify what that may look like. Do some research. Also, ask around. Ask your church, what do you think is one of the biggest needs in our community? You might be surprised about what they may say. Ask local government officials, whether you have relationship with city council people or mayors or whoever. Engage with your community and ask them, like, what do you need? If you were planning a church, that would be one of the first things that you would try to do, is try to identify the need. Next, once you have that need identified, you need to assemble a team. And that team starts out as your board of directors. And I know for a lot of the, the lead pastors, the words board of directors can be a little frictiony. 
Now, a nonprofit board of directors functions similar to a church, but at the same time it could look a little bit differently because they aren't necessarily church members. But it's also a good opportunity to get people more involved in ministry and get them plugged in. It could be a good discipleship opportunity. But I want to give a couple of tips to selecting solid board of directors so that you're not five years down the road and like, oh my gosh, so-and-so is really getting on my nerves. Um, Number one, I think it's important to have a diverse board. And I'm not just talking race and gender, but diverse in careers. Let's say you have this need and you've identified it. Don't just get your three closest friends that you all work with to be your board of directors. That could work. You can make that happen. But at the same time, what makes it very challenging is as you're going for different fundraising opportunities, if you're looking to try to grow what you're doing, having uh, people that aren't necessarily directly in your network can be a really big benefit. It can help you out a lot. So let's say you are starting an after-school program. Having someone that's a teacher on your board can be very helpful because they can give you a lot of insight. Let's say you are starting a mental health nonprofit. Having a counselor on your board is very helpful. If you're starting a foster care nonprofit, having someone that has fostered before can be very beneficial. But having that diverse board can really help. I would also recommend, kind of as a side note, if you can make it happen, have a CPA and or a lawyer on your board. Because then, you know, your finances will be straight and, you know, your legalese will be straight. Next, you also want someone that's very passionate about their mission, about your mission. Because that's the best board members. The best board members are the ones that love what you do and would do anything for you. And last, you want to try to avoid any conflict of interest as much as you can. There are opportunities where it is unavoidable, but... Let's say you are looking to start a nonprofit and you're leasing space from somebody. That somebody probably shouldn't be on your board because they financially benefit from it. Um, So kind of avoiding those things would be good. So let's say you have your need, you've assembled your team. Now all the fun paperwork begins. Um, What I mean by that is first we have to create our constitution and bylaws. That's something that's very standard for not only the state level, but also the federal level. They can be very challenging. I would not say start constitution and bylaws from scratch. Um, I feel like unless you are very familiar with it, you'll feel like you just want to die. <laughs> so it's very overwhelming. So I would suggest one of two things. Because bylaws are technically public record. People are supposed to be able to access them, I believe, based on like regulations. If someone requests bylaws, you're supposed to give it to them within two weeks. Now, what I would recommend is if you, if you know of another nonprofit that's similar to yours, take theirs and copy it and change the name. There's obviously some things that probably need to be altered a little bit to kind of fit your situation, but at least you kind of have a template to work off of. That's what I'm doing right now on my 
I had no idea it needed to be in there. Yeah. It's so like a lot of the little minute details can completely throw you off. Um, that actually reminds me of a story here. The, um, I remember reading about this one church where in the bylaws that they originally drafted, the founding pastor counted for 75% of his vote and he was never off the board until he died. Um, so a few months, years into the church, he ended up having an affair. So the board fired him from being a pastor, which makes a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, no one thinks that that type of person should be in leadership, especially in a church setting. So he ends up suing the church for wrongful termination and wins because of the way the bylaws were drafted. So you always want to make sure your bylaws are tight. Um, Drafting from another organization is helpful. Another option is asking a lawyer to help you. Also, that's why it's great if you have a lawyer on your board. It's a great way to get them involved. Yes? You draft your bylaws and stuff. Mm-hmm. Are they set in stone for forever? If down the road you're like, oh shoot, we left ourselves open to this, we want to change it. Can you legally change your bylaws? Yeah. Usually at the end there's a, an amendment clause that it, be, it can be changed at any moment. So. Yeah, there's, they're kind of like a living document. Everything is always up for interpretation, especially since, like, um, especially the last few years with COVID, a lot of the ways that board members were allowed to meet had to be altered. So you can add things like we have to, we can communicate not in person. We can do via Zoom or any other virtual thing. So. Is it like submitted to the state if you change it or whatever? Whoever you come in when you get your 5123. Um, usually you'd have to, if you're doing any major changes, you have to submit it to the IRS as part of your 990 every year. So, um, but also it's just good to have it on record too. Um, so yeah, also getting it done by a lawyer is also very helpful. Um, for our context, we have a lawyer that's on our board and kind of had a couple of lawyers also helping. So. Very useful. So once you have your bylaws and your constitution, then the next step that you can do is submit it to the state. Um, First, you have to submit it to the state before you can get your 501c3. The state filing is usually pretty quick if you have everything all together and squared away. It It could be a little longer because everything is longer nowadays with COVID. But once you have your state filing, that's when you get your EIN, employer identification number. And once you have all of that, then you can start the federal submission, which is known as Form 1023. Basically, to kind of sum it up, it's like submitting a full business plan for a nonprofit. What is your mission? What are the activities that you plan to do? What is your projected budget? Who are your board members? How are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Um, it could take several months for you to get your 501c3 from when you submit it. I've read recently that there are people that are just getting their 501c3 and they submitted in June of last year. Um, Apparently they're very backed up because of COVID and everything. So I would say if you're really looking to start a nonprofit, you'd want to submit the 1023 form like yesterday. Now I'm not saying that that's very easy because there is a lot to it, but um, but there is a positive with that. 
um, let's say you do start fundraising. When you start fundraising and you don't have your 501c3 yet, you can't give people like tax deductible receipts. But if you get it within 27 months, you can do it retroactively. So let's say you were to get your 501c3 letter today, people that donated to you January of last year can get tax deductions for it. It usually doesn't happen, but in some cases it does. But once you file everything, the IRS will give you what's called a determination letter, which basically says you have your 501c3, which is really the gold standard when it comes to nonprofits. Mainly because everything that comes into your organization as income is considered not taxed unless it's not related to your business. And then also anybody that makes a donation can use it as a tax deductible donation. So let's say you have your 501c3. You started it, everything's good. How do you go from the point of having this idea to seeing it out in person. A lot of fundraising has to happen. And I know for, for some people, fundraising is not a very fun F word. And I will say that for me, when I first started fundraising as a missionary, it was very intimidating. But I've kind of seen how God has changed my heart towards it, because it's not me going and asking people for money. It's asking people to join in a mission for saving our community. And when you have that mindset, it makes it a lot easier. So I want to talk really quick about three different fundraising streams. There's a lot of different ones. There's a lot of different ways that you can raise funds, and every organization is different. Some rely more on others. Some rely more on really anything. So I'm going to start with individual giving. Because individual giving is the most prominent type of giving in the nonprofit world. Over 75% of donations given to nonprofits, this is through the IRS, is given through individuals. Now, a bulk of that is probably to ministries and churches, but it's also to um, nonprofits as well. So that's where a lot of that's where a lot of the money is at. I hate saying it that way because that's not the purpose of nonprofits, especially in the church world. But individuals is the best way that you can also have very sustainable funding because a lot of times, unless someone designates that they want it to go to something, you can kind of do whatever with it. So let's talk a little bit about different ways that you can do it. First is events. That's probably one of the main ways that a lot of people do fundraisers. Think of like the fundraiser galas that you might have gone to, where it's like a fancy dinner, everyone has a good time, and donations are given that way. That's probably one of the main ones as our after-school program. That's one of the main ones that we do as well. We also have other things such as like golf tournaments. Um, I've seen some churches do like the fundraisers at like Chipotle and things like that your bike-a-thons, walk-a-thons, really any way that are larger events to provide funding for your ministry. So major events is probably one of the bigger ways. Number two is monthly giving. As a missionary, monthly giving is what sustains us the best. 
that's really those faith promise forms that hopefully you all fill out. If you don't, you should. Monthly faith promises is really what helps sustain missionaries. And monthly giving programs is really big for nonprofits because it's something that's reliable. You know every single month you're going to get $25 from this particular individual. So it's a very sustainable form. Once again, it's also very unrestricted unless they say it has to go somewhere. You might have also seen a little bit with monthly giving when it comes to, have you guys ever heard of Patreon? Um, a lot of times people that are on YouTube, a lot of times that's what they use as a way to give people like kind of an exclusive look into what they do. Sometimes they'll do special videos for their Patreon subscribers. But basically that's something that some nonprofits do as well as they, for those that are monthly donors, they'll give them kind of an exclusive look into what they do. I know of a nonprofit that's on the west side of Cleveland, they, they minister to people in prison. So one of the things that they do for their monthly donors is they're able to record one of their music performances every single month. Not everyone has access to that, only the people that give monthly. So monthly giving, major events. Last is Facebook. Um, it's very interesting, but Facebook has become a much bigger player when it comes to nonprofits. Um, if you have a 501c3, this also goes for churches too. I would recommend taking a look at the Facebook, Facebook for Nonprofits application. If you Google that, um, you'll kind of, it'll walk you through all the steps. If you sign up for it, it gives you the opportunity to be listed as a fundraising organization on Facebook. If you, also, if you have a Facebook page for your church or your nonprofit. So when you go about this, it, this one takes about three weeks or so. Um, but once you get approved, you can start fundraising on Facebook. And Facebook pays for all of the transaction fees. So if someone donates $25, you're getting $25, as opposed to $24 and change, usually if you do it in any other way. So for me, Facebook is a really big one. If anyone is friends with me on Facebook, you probably have seen and or donated to some of our Facebook fundraisers. Another thing that happens is about two weeks before your birthday, it'll prompt you, hey, your birthday's coming up. Do you want to do a fundraiser for your favorite nonprofit? That's a good way to connect people to your nonprofit. You can be like, hey, I know your birthday's coming up. Do you want to give to the Meeting Place Learning Center for your birthday? Or do you want to give to your church for your birthday? So it's a really big one. It also mirrors over to Instagram. So you can also do fundraising on Instagram kind of in the same way. So for me, that's been a big one that I've been trying to do a little bit more. You can also invite friends personally to not only donate to your cause, but also they can share in it. You can also do matching giving. So if let's say you're trying to do a fundraiser for $1,000, you can ask someone to do a match. So then as you're doing the fundraising, they'll give $1,000 and then you'll also raise 1000 So that's a really big one. Um, I would really recommend taking a look at that because especially with all the transaction fees from really any other way that you may do it, it's definitely better. Um, the next thing is grants. Now, I am a grant writer. I do 
most of the the grant writing and providing the funding in that way for both of our nonprofits. Um, I would say that grants can provide a lot of high dollar amounts for your organization, especially if it's a really good fit. So if let's say for us, there are several foundations that really love to help us because of the neighborhood that we're in or because we're helping with education. So yeah, there's a connection there. So I would say that grants is definitely a thing that you should pursue. Um, if you need help with grants, I can help you out with that. But also, a lot of times grants are very restricted. Um, unlike individual donations where you can give and kind of do whatever you want with it, a lot of times grants are for a specific program or a specific project. Also, a lot of times, they don't let you pay for salaries with it, which can be kind of frustrating. That's something that's starting to change with COVID, where a lot of foundations are kind of rethinking how they're doing their giving, but it's just as a word of caution. But I would say, especially if you see a grant and you have built a relationship with that, that foundation or whoever is in charge of that grant, definitely pursue it. Sometimes the, they can be a little challenging, but also you can get some support. Yeah? Are there like resources out there online that, that, will, that will cover like all the foundations and stuff? Can you like Google it? Yes. <laughs> and find out which one would, or which one would be most of Yes. So there is um, there's a resource called the Foundation Center that um, they have a huge database of different grantees. And you can look up, like for our context, youth development in Cleveland, Ohio. And it'll give you a list of any foundation that would support something like that. Normally, there's a, like a $100 a month charge. But a lot of local libraries will have this as part of their uh, digital workspace. So if you go up to like your local library and say like, hey, I want to access the Foundation Center, they'll kind of get you set up in that way. So well, they know what you're talking about from that. Typically, yeah. If they, if they don't, that probably means that it's not one of the libraries that supports it. That's something you can also look up on the Foundation Center's website. So, okay. but yeah, there's, there's a whole list. Because especially like sometimes it's hard because you're like, well, I don't know where to start. That's usually a good, way, good place to start, is to look at, look at a database. Also, asking a lot of the, the leaders in your community. Um, I don't know if this is the case in every community, but we have um, CDCs, Community Development Corporations, not the other CDC. Um, a lot of times, they also will know a lot of the funders and a lot of the foundations in your area. Um, so first, you have individuals, then you have grants. And then I'm going to put everything else in a category called other funding, because this could be a lot of different things. And once again, it could look different. Your, your piece of the fundraising pie can look very different from the one that we have or the one that your neighbor has. But it's important to have a pie. You don't want everything in one basket. You don't want a foundation to give you 100% of your funding. First of all, most won't just because they want to see that there's other people that are players in the game. 
but also if that foundation decides that they don't like you or if that foundation changes their scope of focus, which that happens a lot, then you're kind of stuck with nothing. So here are some other ways that you can raise funds within a nonprofit. A big one is earned income, which would be things like ticket sales. Um, like you think of like those museum nonprofits that they sell tickets to get in, but it's still operating as a nonprofit. Earned income is fine so long as it's related to your mission. Like for us, one of the big fundraising streams that we're looking at for our coffee house is coffee sales. That would be considered earned income. However, if it's not related to your mission, then those funds would be taxed. So like if you're doing something that's, say, if you're doing something with children, but you're charging an event for adults, you might end up having to pay taxes on that income that comes in. The same with real estate. So let's say you own multiple properties and you're renting it out, but it's not like related to your mission. You may have to pay taxes on that income that comes in. Even if you use that money for your mission? Yes. Um, another way is selling merchandise, whether it's selling t-shirts, hoodies, whatever, for us coffee cups. Um, Corporate sponsorships is another way. Um, there are some corporations that do kind of grants, but they kind of may look a little bit different. Um, another is in-kind donations. So it's not necessarily like direct money income, but if someone donates food, then you don't have to pay for food. And it's something that you should also work into your budget because if someone's giving that as in-kind donations, if they don't give it for whatever reason, it's still accounted for somewhere. Um, in-kind can really result in anything. Um, we get a lot of in-kind donations, whether it's snacks for our kids, whether it's furniture. We have a lot of different things that kind of help us there. Um, not necessarily, but it's usually a good practice. Sometimes it's hard though because the value is very hard to quantify depending on what it is. Um, raise your hand also if you're a volunteer. Any volunteers? Okay, there's a few guys. Um, volunteer hours can also be a source of income. Um, according to the independent sector, the rate of a volunteer in 2022 is $28.54 an hour. Um, and a lot of that is factored in based on like how much it costs to live. But you also have to add in if that volunteer was an employee, you'd be paying like payroll taxes on them. You may have to be paying benefits and things like that. So volunteers are very valuable. Um, so that kind of wraps up the other income. Um, I have cards here too, just to let you know. Um, I'm here and available for you. One of my passions is to help churches grow nonprofits because I feel like it's a very underutilized and very underappreciated aspect of what we can do. I have a question. Like, so, yep. Uh, does, a, does a nonprofit have to be, uh, have, their scope have to be really like, razor tight on what they're doing? Or can it encompass multiple different jobs? For instance, uh, our community uh, has, a, has a drug problem in our youth. 
there's really not much there's not much direction for them they're in mm -hmm. schools but I also my passion is a uh, food ministry so my nonprofit my visionary nonprofit would be a food industry, a food you know, ministry that encompasses you know uh, you know youth and you know maybe even education like you said you know rural rural area uh, you know, our education system is not broken but it could be elevated quite a bit. You know? Yeah. Um, as you fill out like the form 1023, under like the 501c3, there's usually a couple of categories that you would have to pick in there. So, yeah, because like even if you're considered like community development, which is what our coffee house is under, um, that could be something that kind of encompasses all of that. Yeah. Are there any questions? Well, thank you. Um, let me uh, let me hand out my cards because these are these are also my missionary cards. I would be remiss to not hand them out. Um, actually, let me also read off a few resources that are available for nonprofits for free. And this would also oh, thank you. Um, these are also not just um, for Nonprofits that aren't church, I would also once again look at this for your ministry. So, Google has a lot of really good resources for nonprofits. So, like you know how people have like the emails with at and then their website? If you do it through Gmail and G Suite, it's 100% free for nonprofits. So, if you are paying for it, that's something that you can look at. Switching over, I'm not fully sure of that process, but um, but Google also has um, the Google Drive where you can have, I think it's like 15 gigs of space or something like that, where you can share different documents among the rest of your staff. Um, the other thing, I don't know if you're familiar with Canva, which is kind of like a marketing tool if not, I would download the app. It's a good way to make your, your flyers, any of your marketing information look really professional. They have tons of templates. If you're a nonprofit, that's something else that you can get for free. I will say for Canva, I've learned how to do it, a lot of it on YouTube. So if you have an idea of what you yeah. can do and you just type it into YouTube, like, it'll show you. I also found with templates, if there's things I like, you can really easily break it apart and find the aspects that you like so you can incorporate it into something else. Yep. It makes it really easy. No, you're good. Um, it's it's very very easy to kind of yeah Canva. It's really it's really simple. Um, they have a free version, but some of like the the paid stuff you don't have to pay for. Um, they have an application, and they're usually pretty quick about getting back to you. The only thing that you need is your determination letter. So a lot of what I'm talking about, if you don't have your determination letter for your church, that's something that you would need. Um, it should be on file somewhere. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Um, oh, I talked about um, the Foundation Center. Another one that's along those lines is Candid. Um, they're kind of one in of the same. Uh, Candid. C-A-N-D-I-D. Um, they have a good database also 
of not just foundations but also other nonprofits. Another way that you can kind of go about finding grants is looking at a nonprofit that's similar to yours and also in your area. So once again, using us as an example, if we're looking at after school programs in Cleveland, we can look that up and then in Candid, they have, you can look up the specific organization and then um, they have what's called the 990, which once again is also public knowledge. And, um, and in the 990 form, depending on their income, you can usually see some of the funders that they have. Also, you can check out their website because a lot of times nonprofits will post on their website or their annual reports who gave to them. So you can kind of have a little bit of a, a better idea. Um, another one we've used recently, it's not free, but Bonfire. That's where we've done a lot of our t-shirt sales and you can do fundraisers to them. Um, if you can do it for anything, but if you're a nonprofit, the fee is reduced and you can do it either in bulk and you can kind of set your own prices. You can have merch for your organization. Um, any other questions? Yep. How does fast Um, that's a good question. Um, as far as the second part, getting kids there, one of the things that really helped us is building relationships with the school. Um, we try every single month to donate supplies to the school, a lot of the supplies that they need, like um, for the little kids, wipes or hand sanitizer is always a good one. Um, and then we also try to give them like a little treat too, just to show that we care about them. But a lot of it is building relationship. Um, there are some opportunities for things, I don't know if this is nationwide, it's definitely in Cleveland, but BVU, Business Volunteers Unlimited, I would check that out. Um, a, lot of, um, a lot of bigger cities have kind of a volunteering group. Um, this one is specifically for like business professionals, they've helped us do a lot of the kind of the back work. We have some HR consultants that helped us out for lower costs and things like that. Um, and also a lot of it would be through your board too. Um, if you have solid board members, let's say that are plugged into the schools, that can really help bring in other volunteers. Um. Profit or yeah, and how do you how do you go about doing that? Who do you use? Like what 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 do you need? Um, insurance. That's a little out of my scope. I don't really do a ton with the insurance stuff, but a lot of it. Some sometimes with some grants, they'll require a certain type of policy. Um, a lot of the state and federal grants sometimes will say like you need a hundred thousand dollar policy and your name needs to be listed on there. Um, yeah. I would say that most any of the church insurers, you know, uh, Brotherhood Mutual, Church Mutual, uh, currently we're using Mennonite Mutual, 
uh, and most any of those will handle nonprofits. You know, they're well versed. In. Yeah, they 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 know all about that. All the all the liability of having adults with kids and all that kind of craziness. Hmm? Oh yeah, and, and obviously most any of them, uh, like your granting organization, going to require a million dollar policy. It's going to like the bottom line. Okay. Thank you. Also, there was, um, for one of our outreaches, we were um, asking for permission to use uh, City of Cleveland space, and then they also had listed like all of the stipulations that we would need just to use the space. And it wasn't even, I don't think there was much of a charge, if there was any. But a lot of times they'll, they'll kind of lay out what you would need for that. Well, um, I'll, I'll stick around if you guys have any other questions. Um, I would love to, to meet with you, help you build your nonprofit. Um, you can even count it as like a mission service. I don't, I don't even care. So um, thank you guys so much. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you.